You got your 1,500 hours of flight time. You get to have a real job that pays real money. And you can get a job with a couple different things. You can get a job at a regional. There's a ton of regional airlines out there. And they're going to pay you right now. They're going to pay you starting off year one about 100 grand a year. And they're going to give you a signing bonus of 100 to $200,000 plus or minus something, uh, depending on what day of the week it is. And they've got all these crazy sign-on bonuses because they're, they're worried about retention. Because what's really happening, as soon as those people are there for an extra 1,000 hours, so you're talking an extra 18 months or so, they're becoming a captain at that regional airline. They're making a, they're making close to two hundred thousand dollars a year, and those those pilots are getting picked off by Delta, United, American, FedEx, Southwest, and and uh, UPS, and they and Alaska and Hawaiian, and they're getting picked off and going to these major airlines where they're gonna they're gonna crush you know millions and millions of dollars across their career. Hello, and welcome to the new Mission Career Transition Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Caprellian, and I'm joined by my co-host, sister, and talent management pro, Alexandra Caprellian. We interview service members that transition to new careers, DOD representatives, and civilian HR professionals to provide you with lessons learned you won't get in a transition class and to help you transition with confidence. On this episode, we have Nick Fialka. He is an aviation career coach, but he's also a U.S. Navy pilot and a reservist. So he dabbles in both worlds, but I'm going to tell you his thought process on how to help individuals prepare for an interview blew my mind. There's a lot of great information in this episode. So uh, sit back, take out your note-taking gear, and enjoy the podcast. Nick Fialco, welcome to the podcast. Chris and Alexandra, how are you guys? <laughs> Great. Thanks for being here. I'm doing well. I'm still caffeinated. I got some caffeination rolling through me. Excited to have you on. It's going to be good. I'm excited. This will be really fun. Doing this podcast is a great interrupt for me because uh, I'm supposed to be cutting down a tree in the backyard right now, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it gets, gets you away from the yard work and the, and, the, and the tedium, but definitely excited to have you on. Um, I think you're the first one that we've had on this podcast uh, that is a still a reservist, a pilot flying for a major airline. Also, you provide services for individuals that are trying to get into the airline industry, even service members that are uh, trying to prepare to submit their application and conduct interviews with major airlines. And so I think there's a lot we're going to take away from this. And before we go down into the details of what you do today and some of the uh, interview preparation guidance you might be able to share with the listeners, we'd like to talk a little bit about you. <laughs> oh, of... man, my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> I know you were telling me before we started, you we're looking forward to not doing that too much, but man, we got we got to let everybody know where it is you came from. So if you could actually start there, where'd you grow up, and uh, how did you how did you get into the Navy? 
You know, that's a great question. First, let me say thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I love what you do. And that's why I reached out once I saw your podcast and listened to it. And I just really, really appreciate what you do and supporting veterans. I I have a special, special place in my heart for that. So thank you for that. And so, yeah, I grew up on a map dot in Western North Carolina, out in the mountains, and in a super duper poor area. When I was a senior in high school, I knew I couldn't afford college, and so I joined the Marine Corps Delayed Entry Program. However, I am now a Navy guy, and I am not a pull-up monster, so I did not end up (laughs) in the Marine Corps. And it's an interesting story because a gentleman from the town where I grew up who was a local businessman actually called me out to his house and asked me he heard I had was joining the Marines but he also heard that I wanted to go to college and that guy paid for my first year of college and he gave me a check and said here it is the rest is up to you and that's how I ended up in the Navy because I got a three-year Navy scholarship and I was super, super stoked. And yeah, I went down the aviation path. I flew helicopters. My first day of flight school in the Navy was September 11th, 2001. You may remember that day. You may not. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, so I've just, I've been in the Navy for 22 years of that. 10 were of active duty. And that is how I got to kind of where I am today at a major airline. It's a long circuitous path, but I certainly love it. And I'm certainly very proud of it. Were there any experiences during your service that had kind of a, a major impact on you and your development, your professional or personal development? You know, I here's what I love about what we do is the camaraderie, the brotherhood and the sisterhood, because you don't get that anywhere else, period, dot, the end. And I can't, I can't get away from it. It's infectious. And I saw that. During my first deployment to Iraq in in the North Arabian Gulf on the George Washington, it was like 2003 or four, and we just really came together as a squadron, and that really that really became an important thing. I, I made lots of friends in various communities, and I just I grew a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton. And I think that that I, you know, most people will reach back and talk about deploying and how rewarding it was or how crappy it was, because it certainly was. And I've done so many deployments, it's hard to keep track of all of them. But I would say that that experience of of camaraderie that you get when you are when you are face to face with with hard things and you're you're flying in bad weather and people are not happy with you and they don't want you to be near them and and the bad guys are all around all of those things kind of add up to this high level of stress that can only be managed with a high level of of brotherhood and sisterhood and that is probably what got me through and is is the indel indelible mark of what I take away from my time in the military. And I'm sure that that's carried on with you and and translated into some of the other things that you've done, whether it's through coaching or maybe your engagement with other veterans. Yeah, I love being able to reach out. I, I love that connection and I can't lose, you know, the camaraderie thing I talk about. Yes, I'm, I'm a, I'm a career coach. I'm an aviation career coach and I help people get to where they want to be and I help them succeed. And 
I take phone calls, man, just like any other vet, right? We will do, you need something. I'm, you know, I'll pick up my shovel. I'll, I'll dig that hole right next to you. We're going to dig our foxhole together. And that's what I try to bring every single day to my, my people, my men and women that I'm, I'm helping get to their dream job to get to the, to the place where they fit best. And that's what I want. I want everybody at the end of the day, uh, when I die, they look back and say, man, Nick was really helpful. He helped us find where we fit best. So you do this coaching through, uh, Spitfire Elite Consulting. Is that correct? Yeah, Spitfire Elite. We're awesome. Uh, we are. <laughs> we we are. We're awesome. We've got about thirty five coaches that help pilots get ready for the pilot interview. It's a really difficult process. It takes days to get to get uh, through. Some uh, some interviews are different than others, and so we we focus on helping pilots and that understand their authenticity. They understand their why and why they fly and why they're doing what they're doing and why working for a specific company is important for them and their family. And yeah, authenticity, culture fit in the company and understanding their empathetic nature and how to portray that in an interview. And it doesn't matter uh, for those of you that are going to hit the hit the fast forward button and go on to the next podcast before you do. I just want you to know. Every single, I work in a, across industries. I do interview prep for, I, I did interview prep for a kid getting into a middle school. I did interview prep for a, a, a test pilot for a Sonic, uh, the, the boom company. I've done interview prep for people working in consulting like Booz Allen Hamilton and Deloitte. It doesn't matter what, even if you're going to get a job at Chick-fil-A, you need somebody to help you understand how to articulate yourself. And you need to understand the depth of the question that the person is asking and how that question should be aligned with something that reflects back to how you are going to help that company. And that's the big, big part of it. doesn't matter what your job is. You have to find that place where you fit within that company and be able to articulate that. And, and that's very universal. I mean, across the board. And I, man, I've got questions regarding interview preparation. But before I get into that, let's transition a little bit to Maybe just the audience in general, or actually let's, let's start first with those that are maybe in a branch of service and they deal in aviation, might be pilots, so on and so forth, um, that are thinking about uh, getting out um, and then trying to become a pilot in the airline industry. I think there are two different types of demographics that are looking at it, and, they're, I, and I think it's pretty consistent across the board in the Air Force, the in the Navy, in the Marine Corps, um, maybe certain segments of the Army, but you're either a commissioned officer with notable exceptions to our, our warrant officers, but a commissioned officer that finished their first contract, they're coming up on seven years, and they decided, listen, I don't want to make the military career. I'm thinking about maybe going into commercial aviation. And then you've got others that make a career, a military career, and they're transitioning at the 20 year mark. And I'm presuming that some of the things that you might say, or maybe you don't, but would you have different advice for those two different cohorts on what they should do in order to prepare for that transition in a commercial airline industry, um, or maybe some mindset things they should take into consideration? Yeah. So let me, can I start kind of at the 30,000 foot view and work my way down? Because I feel like that's going to be 
the best way to paint this picture. Yeah, and Angels three zero is good with me, man. <laughs> good, good. Um, that's awesome. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> First off, for the veteran listening, I don't know if you've ever turned on a television before, but if you have, you've probably heard that there's a pilot shortage right now. And for the next 10 years, we're recording this in 2023. So in the over the next 10 years, there will be an acceleration of need for pilots in the United States. When I started flying commercially in 2017, I made $31,000 a year. I had, at the time, I only had four kids. And I had balance. Only? Right. (laughs) Only four kids. (laughs) And I had to balance. I had to make life decisions, really, really hard life decisions, not to eat a kid, but to like balance your budget and not live on debt and all these things to try to pursue aviation. Well, that's not the case anymore. You can make $100,000 a year after you get your training in a couple hours. And and that's just to start. The average major airline captain is making about $400,000 a year. And if you are making that much money without having a PhD or, you know, eight years of law school or something crazy long, difficult like that, then you probably have started an internet company. But other than that, I mean, there's no other job that pays that well that requires, it doesn't require a college degree. It doesn't. So all you enlisted guys and gals listening, let's go. The the idea with aviation, here's what I'll tell you. If you're getting out or you have an even glimmer that you want to become a pilot, it's an awesome opportunity. Uh, there's, a, there's an organization that I want to tell you about first called RTAG, R-T-A-G.org. And they focus on, they're a veteran-owned 501c3 focused on giving help and providing scholarships to vets that want to enter aviation. If you're enlisted, if you have the GI Bill, if you are a person that can get a yellow ribbon scholarship, there are, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of flight schools around the U.S. that will take the government's money through that GI Bill. They'll give you the training. You can get your private pilot's license. You can get your commercial license. You can get your multi-engine. And you can, you can track your way through. And let me. It, it takes a couple years to get there. You can, you can find yourself very quickly going from uh, some guy, some guy cranking out working in a mess hall, or or working in an office, or or sweating out on a ramp, living in a tent, something miserable, to flying a multi million dollar jet in just a couple years. And all it takes is you to get for you to step forward and put a little effort straightforward. So for my enlisted guys and gals, that's how you start. Go to our tag, check them out, uh, and and then start your process. Use, talk with your family, get a plan. Do not live on your credit card like crazy. But within a few years, you can make it a couple hundred grand a year. And it's awesome. Uh, for officers, anybody that is Anybody that still has that GI Bill, it, it follows the same path. If you have never been flying before, and you don't, and you don't want to go sit at a desk and poke your eye out for the rest of your life, go down the aviation path. I'm telling you, it's the best freaking thing. I've never answered an email from my company. They've never ever sent me an email asking me to go do something. The biggest, the heaviest lift I have to do is like twice a year. I have to do computer based training. That's like the heaviest lift. Other than that, nobody's asking me to stay late at the office. Never, ever. Um, and I will, I will tell you. Here's a little story. I was in 
uh, TGPS, TAP class is what we used to call it. It's some kind of like transition class. I was sitting across from meteorology guy and he started shooting the breeze with me afterwards. And he said, oh man, you're an airline pilot. I was always interested in that, but I think I'm just going to go work for, um, work for the government and get my USA jobs app going and doing that. Like, yeah, man, like no, no problem. That sounds like a great boring way to live your life but if you want to do make some serious money and you want to go do something super awesome i'm telling you the aviation path is so fun i you know i gave him my card i was like dude let's go let me show you how to get this get this moving go going in the right direction i introduced him to some of the right people and this whole the whole aviation world is all about your network and your network is your net worth and so if it's broad then you are going to score and you're going to be happy in life and so that's what you got to do you got to put yourself out there you got to ask the questions you got to get uncomfortable man you just blew my mind here <laughs> i was going into this conversation thinking all right the only individuals that are going to end up becoming pilots for commercial airlines we should focus on those that are either o3s or o5s getting out and it just didn't cross my mind that there were organizations like RTAG that plus the use of the uh, like the post 9-11 GI Bill where you could do the same thing. I'm sorry, man. I, I My aperture needs to certainly widen on that one. So thank you. <laughs> Dude, and that's the thing. If people don't think about it, they think, man, flight school, those guys that went through flight school, they did. It took them two long years to get through flight school, and then they had to commit to the military for ten years. All that you know, there's no leash like that in the civilian world. You've got it. You do. Like, let me let me put you straight. You're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to study your ass off, and you're going to have to get yourself to a point where you can succeed. Because if you fail, that'll be the end of it, and your family will be pretty disappointed in you. But if you work hard and you put forth the effort, you pass the courses. And then you get a job as a flight instructor and you start building hours and you start and you start branching out and you go fly seaplanes or you go fly in Alaska in the bush or you go up to New York and fly to Canada back and forth six times a day. There's a million different ways to skin a cat because really what it comes down to is to be a professional pilot, you need 1,500 hours of flight time in an airplane. And once you hit that number, it doesn't matter how good you are. You don't have to be good at it. You don't have to, you, you could be the, you could be a blue angel. You could be an astronaut or you could be some doofus that picks his nose all day. You can barely fly a Cessna, but <laughs> each one of them get the same job and they get the same paycheck. It's not about how good you are. It's about the fact that you're doing it and you're moving forward every single day. Okay. So I, I know you said what, I'm just, my mind is spending 15, 1500 hours. That's right. It's a lot of hours. It takes a long time. You can get about four to 500 hours a year if you're really working hard. Four to 500 hours a year. Okay. So what's the career? Okay. So what's the career progression look like? Um, and I know you mentioned licenses and certifications. So let's just say, um, somebody wanted to become a captain on a major airline, you know, 737 kind of give us an example of what that career path might look like. All right. So uh, I'm an E5 in the army. I'm getting out. I'm getting an honorable discharge. And I heard this podcast because it's my favorite podcast. And I want to go to, I want to go to flight school. So I choose my school and I can choose one of two different paths. I can go, Hey, Liberty university, let me go fly with you and go fly with Liberty and get a college degree about the same time takes uh, about four years to get through it, right? And I'm going to use my GI Bill and some other things to pay for it, but I come out without any debt. Or 
I can decide, hey, I don't need my college degree. Maybe, you, you know, you, that's it's not required. So I, I always think that it's good to have. And if it were me, I would probably work on the doing a web internet version of getting my degree versus spending four years in a class while I am going to some flight school like General Aviation or ATP Flight School in Florida or Sanders Aviation in Alabama, which I love, or Sky Warrior in Pensacola, Florida. You can go to these flight schools and they will start you flying. They'll do some ground school for a few weeks. Then they'll get you in the air. They'll get you to solo. You'll get your private pilot's license. And you are, you're probably, ah, man, I'm going to be wrong when I say, but I want to say you're going to be like six to eight months working there to get your commercial license and just a couple more weeks after that to get your multi-engine uh, license. And so once you get those licenses slash certificates, whatever that, you know, they are, you're probably there 18 months, 20 months to the point where you uh, where you're ready to move on and get your first job. OK, so let's go back to our Liberty guy. Our Liberty guy went four years at Liberty University and they came out. They they came out and they had um, eight hundred and fifty hours. Well, once they hit a thousand hours, they get a job being a, a flight instructor. Once they hit their thousand hour mark, they can get what's called a restricted air transport pilot certificate. And usually you have to have 1500 hours to get your regular air transport pilot. They call it the ATP, but you can get the restricted version, which lets you get a job with a major company, uh, just with a thousand hours because you spent four years doing your thing at Liberty or Emeryville or wherever. Now our guy from, uh, or gal from ATP or Sanders aviation that went through they're not going to get that. They don't have the college degree. They didn't go through this certain one. For, it's called a 141 flight school. And they did not go through that. They went through a part 61, which is just all this regulatory nonsense. But you went through that. You're out quicker, but you still have to get to your 1500 hour mark where the other guy spent four years. He has to get to he has to get to the thousand hour mark. So does that make sense? That part right there? It does. All right, sweet. Uh, numbers confuse me. I'm a helicopter guy. I, I count on my fingers and toes and eat crayons just like the Marines. Like, that's it. Okay. I like but, the red ones, the tastier. That's right. Okay. So here you are. You have graduated and now you are probably a flight instructor or you can go get a job flying pipelines around the U.S. looking for leaks in the oil pipelines or you can work for a company that does mapping like for Google maps and stuff. And you can just like stay in the air, fly all day long and just bang out as many hours as you can. And really as fast as you can get to that 1500 hour mark to get your ATP is really important for those of you that are, that have other flight time, helicopter guys and gals that are going down this path. Uh, you know, you, you already know your path where you are trying to get, um, 750 hours cause you have already gotten a flight school through the military. But our, our person at Liberty and our person at, at Sanders Aviation, they are working to get their 1,500 hours of flight time. Now, you got your 1,500 hours of flight time, you get to have a real job that pays real money. And that's probably taking, that's probably taking you another 10 months from the, time you, uh, from the time you graduated until you were able to uh, um, get that real job. And you can get a job with a couple different things. You can get a job at a regional 
like you think about the the planes that say American Eagle, there's um, there's Envoy Air, there's PSA, there's Piedmont, uh, SkyWest, Horizon. There's a ton of regional airlines out there, and they're going to pay you right now. They're going to pay you starting off year one about a hundred grand a year, and they're going to give you a signing bonus of a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars plus or minus something. Uh, depending on what day of the week it is. Good. And they've got all these crazy sign-on bonuses because they're, they're worried about retention because what's really happening, what's really happening is as soon as those people are there for an extra thousand hours, so you're talking an extra 18 months or so, they're becoming a captain at that regional airline. They're making a, they're making close to $200,000 a year. And those those pilots are getting picked off by Delta, United, American, FedEx, Southwest, and and uh, UPS and they and Alaska and Hawaiian, and they're getting picked off and going to these major airlines where they're gonna they're gonna crush you know millions and millions of dollars across their career, and that is the crazy thing. I mean, it's, it sounds stupid, it sounds unbelievable, but it's true. A couple of years ago, you'd be making twenty thousand dollars a year, thirty thousand dollars a year, but now it just has everybody needs pilots. Now, if you don't, let's say you don't go to the regional, you can go to a company like Frontier or Spirit to or Allegiant, you know, the ultra low cost carriers, and they pay great wages. Or you've got Breeze or JetBlue or Avello. There's so many different companies out there where you can have a solid, solid job, fly yourself an Airbus A320 and and make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. And, oh, did I mention you only work between 16 and 12 days a month? Because that's the other part of it is that you have tons and tons of time off and the more senior you are at your company, the less you work. And it's an awesome thing. So all the, you know, all in all aviation, super fun. That was, a, you know, I'm sure there's some errors in the things I was just saying, but that's a basic outline of from zero to hero in like 36 months to making, making more money than you're ever going to make uh, doing, doing something with the government as a GS 12 or, or anything else. I mean, come on, what, let's go, man. Yeah. (laughs) I'm trying to imagine anything that would be a compliment to that. And it would involve going to medical school, racking up like $200,000 worth of student debt, slaving through your residency before you finally got a decent job offer. And you end up, which is how long perform. Yeah. It, I don't know, like eight years, eight years. Mm-hmm. And now you're like to make that same money, you're performing liposuction for the rest of your life. I yeah. mean, hey, now if that's what you want to do, Hey, yeah, there's only you. so many cheeks you can suck, man. <laughs> <laughs> but being in the cockpit up in the air, that sounds a lot better. Granted, it's a lot of responsibility and I'm sure when, and I'm sure the companies are very discerning of that, which kind of leads me into some questions regarding you know, interview process, maybe aviation specific, but I'm, I'm presuming that these major airline companies, they put a heavy emphasis on making sure that they screen individuals that are ready to bear the responsibility of having a lot of passengers they're transporting in the skies. Yeah. And so one thing I want to talk about, if you've made it this far in this podcast without hitting stop, you are clearly interested in aviation and you are probably a vet. And I want you to, I want to tell you first off, take care of yourself and take care of what you need to do. But realize if you work in any, if you go to anything having to do with behavioral health, the FAA is going to look at that as something that is, it is something that you need to take care of first before you're allowed to fly. Because there is a ton of responsibility with what we have to do. And if you have, if you're thinking about going down the road of PTSD or whatever for your VA compensation, 
I'm not telling you not to do it, but I am telling you that it's going to take you an extra two years to get your FAA flight physical and you won't be able to do a single flight before that. And it just takes a long time. The FAA is a slow, slow moving machine. And when you work with anything, anything having to do above your shoulders, anything with your head, with your brain, TBIs, those kind of things, they just want to make sure you're you're straight. But they have very rigorous requirements. So it takes a long dang time. So be be completely aware of that before you try to go down this path and decide, hey, I can get some extra bucks if I get a 30% PTSD rating. So let me go ahead and do that. And then the FAA is like, well, I need you to spend two years talking to psychologists first saying you're not going to kill everybody mm. on the plane. So, yeah. you know, it's a little bit of a, it's a balance, man. You got to know, you got to know. And if you like reach out, there are other pe- there are other organizations out there that help you with that too. So reach out and talk to people specifically in aviation that know about that stuff that are FAA medical doctors. That's a, that's a great point. I don't, I think there's one good thing that I've heard recently from somebody that's been through the VA screening process is that the end of the screening process in order to get medical benefits and claim disability specifically for PTSD gets heavily scrutinized. Um, I think there was, I'm not saying that they were playing fast and loose with just approving anything that came across the VA desk. But what I do know is, is that for a lot of our veterans out there or those that are getting ready to transition and they do have a PTSD issue, that those are those are clearly getting validated, and so um, if you're one of those, like, don't become discouraged. If this is something that you want to pursue, you know, the worst thing you could do is get a job, not even think about what it is that you want, and then be one of the veteran statistics where you're completely changing jobs again twelve months down the line, right? Because that's wasted time, that's wasted energy, and if you've used your post nine eleven GI Bill benefits to help you get whatever that job was it's not being used very efficiently. So Nick, thank you for bringing that up. That's a, that's a great consideration. What are some of the other considerations? Let's see. Your VA stuff is super important. Your, the interview process is a big, long drawn out thing and it requires you, you're going to hear, you're going to go through this TGPS class. I don't know if the army calls it the same thing that the Navy does, but it's, it's, it's long. It's a week long of poking your eye out. And one of the things they do is they bring some, they bring some contractor in from the department of labor and they go through some kind of basic interview stuff. And their focus is to let you be able to get a job managing a McDonald's. And if you can do that, they've accomplished their mission in the world of professional aviation. It's a lot more than that. There are tests, there are psychological evaluations, there are personality tests, there are um, human resources, uh, you know, like tell me about a time questions, there are what would you do, like situational questions, there are questions about, um, you know, technically, if you are on an airplane, you have to change runway, what are all the considerations you would make, or maybe a conflict questions, leadership questions, customer service questions, lots and lots of different things. And it's scary. Mm. And there's a lot at stake because each time you sit down in front of a company, you want to be your best because 
your family is counting on you. You might think it's all you, you got this, but man, when you get in that seat for the first time and there's millions of dollars sitting right in front of you and all you have to do is seal the deal, that is a shit ton of pressure, son. Mm. It is a lot and you got to crush and you've got to make sure you do it from the top rope. And that, that is what we, we saw so many people failing and doing terrible in these interviews that we had to start our company because I don't even own the company. It's not my company. I work with the guys. I'm brothers with the two guys that are two other military veterans, Bill and Tron. And they're my, they're just, just like everything in the military, just the camaraderie is deep. And we try hard to make sure that our people are ready and you would be surprised. And if let me tell you what, anybody, if you're going to put an application in, if you're not already prepared to interview that day, don't even think about putting that app in. You need don't it's easier to be ready than it is to get ready. And so do it. That, I mean that that interview process is obviously very detailed and, and involved and for very good reason. Did you have any coaching during the interview process for this? Did you receive anything? I did all of the coaching. I, you know, I'm a helicopter guy to begin with. So I, I probably have this, the smallest IQ of anybody you've ever, ever, ever <laughs> doubtful, <laughs> but yes, absolutely. I paid for, I paid for three different companies to do my interview prep. One of them was Spitfire, believe it or not. And I, once I figured it out as I was sitting there in, in my first interview and I saw how it went. And I saw, I saw what the questions were. I, I saw how I answered them. And all of a sudden I realized that, that, that Spitfire product that I was using allowed me what I, what we don't teach is how to answer the question. We teach how to know yourself and how to understand the question. Because mm-hmm. if you, if you know yourself, you can, you, it doesn't matter what question you ask, you can answer it with impact and effectiveness. And just like, just like a war plan, right? We, we come up with all our contingencies, but once, once the bullets start flying, all that stuff's out the window. And so you just got to rely on your training and that's what we do. Same thing. So all you have all this experience as an, as an, I want to, I don't want to call you an interview coach. You're, you're, you're a career, you're an aviation career coach. Sure. Um, but for interview tips, and I don't want you to spill the beans for all of them, but what are some of the general interview tips you can give our listeners, regardless of what kind of job they're applying for? Listen, there's no spilling the beans. What I do is not magical. What I do, <laughs> what I do honestly is self-awareness. That's it. Understanding yourself on a deeper level and understanding why. So your why, why is it, why is it that you want to work for this company? Is it because you, is it transactional because you need a job or is there something emotionally attached to it? The ones that have an emotional attachment, those are the ones that, those are the ones that are going to get it. If you're, I, you know, I think back to when I got out of active duty in 09, I, I interviewed like 20 times at different companies, uh, Dollar General, Walmart, McDonald's, um, a bunch of people that like Lockheed L3, all that, you know, just the litany of places for a mid-level like management job that was going to pay like 40K. And I didn't get a, I didn't get a single offer. It took me three months of interviewing to get one offer. And I made $30,000 again. It was, it was a great opportunity, but the worst. And, and 
looking back on it, I like kicked myself because I was, I didn't give it, I didn't care. I didn't, I don't care about Donald, Dollar General. I don't, I don't care about what they sell. All I cared about was getting a paycheck. Hmm. Fast forward 10 years and I'm sitting down with my major airline and I'm on this massive campus and there are billions of dollars and buildings and jets and everything surrounding me. And I look and I don't, I want nothing more than to, than to wear their uniform and to, to tell people that I get to fly with them. And that, that understanding of myself and the emotion that I had there allowed me to be more compelling in my answers. So that's the first part. The second part is know why they're asking the question. If they say, tell me about a time you had a conflict, they don't want to hear about the time you grabbed somebody by the throat and threw them against the wall. <laughs> they don't, but I've heard it. By God, I've heard people answer that. Hand to God, I've heard somebody answer like that. What they want to do is see how you're going to interact with their other employees. That's the person that's a different race than you. That's the person that is a different sexual identification than you. The person that's a different pick your thing. They want to know that you are going to be a person that can that can identify and help grow what that company is instead of shut it down. And they want you to know, you know, so my company, my company, it has core values, honesty, integrity, respect, perseverance, servant leadership. That's it. I, I can, I haven't looked at it in six months, but I know it like the back of my hand and I live it day in and day out. And you need to know all about your company, the depth of it, not just the surface bullshit that it's on, that's on the website, but why they do that. You know, if you're a person that's really into diversity, equity, and inclusion, then why are you that? Are you that because you're standoffish because you're not like other people? Well, that's not exciting. But are you like that because you want to grow an organization to help them be more like the more like the customers they serve? Yes, that's awesome. So how you portray that? Because I've seen both sides. You know, I'm a six foot four white guy, but I'm huge on DEI, and I'm like I have. I will put my, I have diversity answers that I'll put forth against any person's diversity answers because I think that is so important. Um, there wasn't a single minority in my high school when I grew up. I mean, that's how far out in the sticks I was. But, you know, like increasing people's capacity and helping people that typically wouldn't have a shot get there is awesome. Do you know that there are less than a half a percent of pilots in the world are black females? Hmm. Less than a half a percent. It's unbelievable. Wow. So that's my goal is to increase that, to help that grow. And if you're not, if you're, if you're a six foot four white guy like me, like I'll get you there too. But it's important to understand where you're going when you go for this interview and why they're asking these questions. So it's a long way around for your answer. I apologize for yarning on, but you just got to be impactful with your statements. Now, that All of that's great information. And I, I'll be honest with you. I never really thought about thinking deeper into the the reason why an interviewer might ask a question. I'm sure there are plenty of guides and books that say, hey, these are the questions that you might be asked during an interview. But to truly think about why it is that they're asking the question will largely inform the type of answer that you're going to give. And and then being 100% authentic about that answer, uh, it, it all makes sense. It sounds like essentially the recipe for success, granted there are probably a couple of more ingredients, but I see why those are the two main points. 
Um, sis, you, you had a question? Yeah, I mean, right now, you know, I'm, I'm working in the HR function at a consulting company, and we're trying to steer clear of saying, you know, are they a culture fit? So culture fit used to be a big thing back in the day. And now we're trying to steer clear of that, because we want to show forth in our DNI efforts for us. But, you know, there's like this big conversation that we're happening, that's happening right now, where, you know, we're talking about being our authentic self, finding what that is, and then trying to meet the expectations of the companies that were um, that you're applying for. So there's those two, there's the balance between the two, right? Being who you are to, to the best of your knowledge and being truthful in that, but also trying to meet that expectation of what they want from you. Do you have any tips or tricks or a way of finding that balance when people are trying to go out and, and, and find a new job and transition? Yeah, it's super easy. You're on your first date with your spouse. That's it. You are the best version of yourself. Because when you are on your date, when you are, if, if either of you are married, you know what it was like and how nervous you were sitting down for the first time in front of him or her and how you were just, you, you, you showered, you shaved, you, you looked your best. You, you did all the things you opened doors, you were polite. And, you know, you might, you might be a, you know, the day before you may have may have been watching a football game, drinking with with your friends or not. But really, when you're the best version of yourself, you see the best that you can be in a company. And, you know, yes, you're in HR and culture fit is cliche and things like that. But really, the why do we have culture fit? The culture fit is because the people that are your customers are not just one bucket of people. They're not just they don't all look the same. They're not all square blocks. They are they're round, they're triangular, they're they're skinny, they're short, they're tall, they're all the things. And so if you can have people that represent all those things, you can have better diversity of thought. You can have better leadership, you can have faster growth. You, your economics are better in your company. And you, the companies that that align like that, those are the ones that have higher margins. And that's what you want, right? You like you want to get paid as a person that is working at the company and the company wants to make money. So it can keep paying its people. And so mm -hmm. if you can align that and find people that are the best versions of themselves on the on the most on the scariest day of their life, because I would say it's more it's more nerve wracking to be in an interview than it is on a first date, because there's always somebody else to get on a first date with. But there's not unless it's going to be if that's going to be your spouse right then and you know it like when I had my first date I knew it and that was it and so go sell yourself be your best version of yourself don't be a jackass you read right through it it's true mm. I mean like yeah authentic 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 that's it and you can I can see it all day long when somebody's giving me a bullshit answer all day long I'm like get out of here and my I, I talk to HR people across the across the aviation world and they say the same thing i'll get people send me resumes and and text message me answers that people have made that are stupid answers that are just like trying to trying to dig up something that doesn't exist and so that's out there so if you can be compelling and, and impactful that's where that's where you're going to get your job and you're going to be successful at your job that's important too yeah absolutely i didn't even think and maybe you would agree the connection between a company that lives by diversity, equity, and inclusion, essentially 
to sum it up, treating people with dignity and respect lead to essentially the organization's success. And when I see a company, the next time I look at, you know, the diversity of the types of people that they have, I think the next thing I'm going to be thinking is, is that's probably a company that has really great teamwork because yeah. all the other little stuff that doesn't matter truly doesn't matter. It doesn't even enter the equation. None of it matters. And at the end of the day, you just want your mom to be proud of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, that's a great paradigm. <laughs> that's it. Man, we covered some stuff that I didn't think we even get into. I'm I'm glad I I'm glad you kind of steered this a little bit because I like where it went. It went to some ex- surprising places. Um, you know, we're we're running a little bit short on time now, but uh, you know, if we have do you have two or three things that you'd want the listeners to remember as they prepare for their transition or for their interviews? Uh, things that you want to double down on or maybe things you haven't mentioned? You know, I would say number 1 is whoever that person is in your life that helps you make your decisions, you need to work with it together. Number two, you need to be smart about how you spend your money. And number three, do it for your kids. Don't do it for yourself. Nick, how can I'm, we asked questions, but I'm sure there are a bunch of other questions that the listeners also have. How can listeners find you if they want to ask those questions or if they want to follow you? Yeah. So hit me up and you can email me you know, I also have a podcast, which we didn't even talk about. Um, but if you if you email podcast at spitfireelite.com, that goes right to me. And I answer every single email that comes to me. If you want to talk about something and figure it out, then I am I'm happy to do it. If you're a vet, if you are uh, somebody married to a vet that wants to talk, if you're whoever, I don't care if you're a vet or not, you found this podcast because you love it and and they, and Cap's got a cool voice, like just keep it coming. But yeah, email me, whatever. Spitfireleak.com is our website. And that is um, a really great asset. Rtag.org. All my boys and girls out there are awesome. And it's all positive, all helping. And it'll, and it'll point you in the right direction. Okay. But I'm not going to let you go without mentioning it. All right. Ready for pushback. Ready <laughs> for pushback. L- listen, like there are some people... I cover, I cover many different individuals that go, come from, they're going to go in a different career directions, but listeners, if you are thinking about going into a career in aviation, you, you are thinking about becoming a pilot, you have to follow Nick's podcast, Ready for Pushback. I, I'm, I don't think I'm going in that career direction, but I listen to it because I still get something out of it. So Rest assured, we're going to put Spitfire and we're going to put the link to the Ready for Pushback podcast on on the episode notes. We'll also make sure that if if you follow us on Instagram at New Mission Career Transition, New Mission CT, we'll also have it there so we don't miss it. But uh, man, and I, I gotta say, I'm a fan of your podcast because there's a it is it is a gold mine of information. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. I I. I'm so happy to be able to share my thoughts with people. And it's funny because uh, I used to joke that my mom's the only person that listens to it, but it has been become uh, kind of a juggernaut uh, on its own. Thanks to the fact that people need jobs and it, it doesn't matter if you're a pilot or not. There's a lot of motivation for, for your path and your discovery and your personal growth. So just go check it out. Definitely. Nick. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. 
Dude, hell yes. Alexandra, you're awesome. Kath, you're awesome. Thank you guys <laughs> so much for having me. Yeah, it was oh. a great time. Yeah, thank you again. All right, Nick. I- I'm going to let you go, but I'll be in touch. And Nick Fialka has left the virtual studio and my mind is blown. <laughs> yeah, I want to be his friend. <laughs> He's great. Yeah. Well, and I was telling you, like, his podcast, his podcast rocks. I like listening to that thing. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a ton of information. Uh, also, the tips. You know, I think sometimes when we're looking for tips on how to go into an interview, it's hyper tactical mm-hmm. and it misses the point. And his thought process and his methodology, that makes a lot of sense. Because if, you, if you're just doing the job, you're going, you're going into a job and all you're looking for is a paycheck and, and you, you didn't even think about like your why. I mean, maybe it is you, you need the financial security, but you're not digging deep into the why. Your lack of enthusiasm going into that interview is going to show. And the answers that you provide aren't going to be confident. They're not going to be complete. They're not going to be done with conviction. I mean, I think this is a lot of what we tell our Marines that are going up for meritorious promotion board. It's like, if you're going to give an answer, give the answer with gusto. Like, be sure Mm -hmm. about it. Or... Say you don't know, but you'll find out. It's better to have the answer, but you know, sometimes if you don't know, you don't know. Uh, but I think uh, his his philosophy on how to approach the interview is, uh, man, that's 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 golden. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it just it all stems from just being honest, right? So it's being honest to who you are as yourself. And then being honest in the room when you're talking to them and you're answering their questions. And I think that it'll just, it'll really show based on, you know, what you truly want out of that. And let's not just say an interview, but out of that relationship, because you're building relationships in that room, right? So thinking about what that looks like and how you want it to be. And I loved his analogy of saying, you know, think of this as like your first date date with your spouse or, you know, with somebody you know, just being the best version of yourself. So, you know, just be honest with what you want going into it and then what you want coming out of it. And I think it's going to really show. 100%. 100%. And then uh, just last point, um, the getting my mind wrapped around what DEI means, right? diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I, and I have some of my own personal opinions, um, but on, on like one of those words, but the overall philosophy behind it, hundred percent, you know, like when you're in the, if you're going to be in the cockpit and whether you're the captain or you're the co you're the co-pilot or it doesn't matter whether you're in a high risk job somewhere you want to know that you can trust that person to your left and right, 100%. It, it, it's not going to matter. Anything that doesn't matter to being able to perform and being a good teammate or a shipmate or somebody that's in that fighting hole or that foxhole, that, that should go out the window and it should never enter. It should never enter the conversation. It should never enter into the equation. And I think it's just a, all, really, it comes down to being a professional and treating people with dignity and respect and embracing the differences that make an organization both diverse, but also wonderful and tight-knit and strong and learning. 
And I think I, you know, every time I have conversations about this with people that are not in the military, but out in the civilian sector, um, it's really changed my thought process. And uh, I think it's a good thing. It's all a good thing. Oh, absolutely. And I, I just want to add to that, you know, being someone who's never been in the military, um, I've never been put into a life or death situation where I have to make sure that anybody that I am next to in front of or behind, um, I need to trust at a hundred thousand percent. So I, so much respect to everybody that does have to do that and has been faced with that. Um, so you know, knowing that I have to trust my teammates is one thing, you know, by delivering uh, deliverables every week. But, you know, respect to everybody else that has had to do way more than I have. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And I know our listeners appreciate that. And I know that I don't want this to go too much longer, right? Hopefully you're, you're getting in a good workout while you're doing this, or maybe you're driving into work or out of work while you're listening. Um. But let's let's wrap it up. If you're listening, hey, I feel like a winner if you're <laughs> actually listening right now. That's great. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. And if you like what we had to say, you can give us a five-star review. You know, on Apple Podcasts, it's a little weird. Like, you've got to scroll through, like, all the episodes down to the bottom in order mm. to figure out where to put five stars. But we're here to help service members transition to civilian careers. And, and I'll tell you, I'm also somewhat selfish. I'm going to transition eventually. So I benefit from all this gouge too. Um, but if you like what you had, help them, help us beat the analytics, please give us a five-star review. We're on all the major podcast platforms. I don't know which one you're listening to now. Maybe you clicked on the link to Spotify, but that I've had on social media or, and you're normally an Apple podcast listener, we're on all of them. As you can look us up at New Mission Career Transition. And if you want to stay up to date on the latest episode, we publish all of them on our social media profiles. Um, the, the big one is Instagram. We're at New Mission Charlie Tango or New Mission CT, Charlie Tango. You can find us there. Uh, we pull out some clips that are uh, pretty informative, but I try not to fill it with garbage. We make sure that everything that we present, it adds value to whatever. We respect your time I, I don't, and I don't want to waste my time having gobbledygook on there so you know definitely i know gobbledygook you got to keep these old phrases alive by saying them every now and then <laughs> and then yeah and if you got other we also are all about process improvement if there are questions that you think we need to be asking or you have feedback you can always email us as well we're at newmissionct at gmail.com all of this is in the episode notes uh, if you've got feedback for us, we'll take it, we'll embrace it, and we will get back to you as soon as we can. Last, if you are preparing for your own transition, know that I'm right there with you. So until the next episode, stay focused. Stay focused.